Um, you know, I can't say anymore because we're live streaming everything that you guys sounded better than the first service. So I can't say that anymore. Um, but you guys sounded good. Uh, and so we're, we're walking through the book of Acts uh, together as a church. And uh, we're in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. We're going to go through verse 40. Uh, it's typically what we like to do here. We like to walk through books of the Bible. We'll even discover a little bit of why in our text this morning, uh, that that's what we do here at Redemption Hill Church. We like to get all of God's word, hear from all that God has to say as it applies to our life. And it, and it gives us the life that we were created to when we walk in him and his will and and we're set free in him to, uh, to live in the way that we have been created to live in community with God. And so, man, this, this morning's text is, is special. And I think it's, it's going to be a little bit hard, maybe for some of us. Uh, it's a little stretching. It, it pushes us. But, but you need to know, if you're going to come to church here, we're going to push. Uh, we're going to stretch because uh, that's what God's word does. And so when we open it up and we just walk through books of the Bible, we get stretched and transformed and the power of the spirit moves in us and we, and we grow in Christ's likeness or you go find another place. And so you're going to be a little bit stretched today. Um, and, and I believe so, but hopefully encouraged and given hope. And, and certainly as we open up the gospel truth, that is the only hope. And so you will be encouraged as well. Uh, but, but let's pray together that, that God would open our hearts to receive and would challenge us in the ways that he desires to challenge us. He would speak to us, that it would be his voice that we hear and, and nothing else. And so let's, let's go to God's word or let's go to him in prayer before we go to his word. God, thank you so much. Uh, for this time that we have to gather together this morning. And uh, I'm excited to go and, and to open your word and to hear you speak. God, it is so incredible that we, we have your voice before us. And God, that your word is living and active and that when we read it, we hear from you. And, and God, you speak to us at the foundation of what we long to hear. And, and God, this morning, I pray that our ears would be open, that our hearts would receive, that our minds would understand, and that you would give us the exact words from your word that we need and that it would transform our hearts. God, I pray if there's anybody in this place that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they today would sense and know that you are true and that you are real and that they were created for you and that today would be the day of their salvation. God, all around our nation today, our world, but specifically in our city, as you speak the gospel truth through your churches in our area, God, I pray that your word would go forth with power and that people would come to know you and that your church would be built, built up and in you and and God, we, just, we, we lift this time up to you. We ask that everything that is said would glorify and honor you, that it would be all about you this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as I was uh, looking at this text and, and trying to just kind of, man, God has really been working on me this week and reminding me of some things that he's done in my life in the past and even recently. Um, and and I, it brought to mind this story that I heard. Uh, it was a while back from uh, Dr. Al Mohler, who's the president of Southern Seminary, and he was telling a story one time about a pastor who's since passed away, but he pastored in Birmingham, Alabama for a long time, a very prominent pastor in church there, and so there are good things that come out of Alabama, I have to admit. Um, I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan, so I don't usually give much cred to Birmingham, Alabama or anything in Alabama, but, you know, this is a good story. So, um, but yeah, he was a pastor there, and, uh, and so he, God was using him in some powerful ways. And, but before he was a pastor in Birmingham, he actually uh, was a military chaplain on a naval ship towards the end of World War I. Um, but at the beginning of the, the war, he was a student. 
He was a seminary student in Louisville, Kentucky at Southern Seminary. And he talked about this one time, the awkwardness of being a student while most other young men were off to war. And, and just how awkward and weird it was to, to, to do what he felt like God had called him to do. And of course, he would go on to be a chaplain. So he's kind of preparing himself for that. Um, and, and so it wasn't that he was ignoring the urgency of the war, but he was preparing himself to go to what he felt like God had called him to do. But he said it was really awkward. He felt like he should have been there already. And he, he recalled a particular time when he was walking through downtown Louisville, and there was an older lady that he saw. It was kind of a rainy day, so she had her umbrella out, but she was carrying it around. It wasn't open, and she was walking by him as they were passing ways. And as she walked by, she hit him with the umbrella. And it kind of took him off guard. And so he was as nicely as he possibly could. He was like, can I help you? You know, like, what's going on here? Like, he was just kind of taken off guard. And, and she looked at him and she asked him the question, just straight up after hitting with her umbrella, why are you not at war? And, and he was taken back even a little bit more. And he explained to her his plan and what he felt like God had called him to do. And he was here as a student. He was studying in the seminary. And, and she said this was her response before she walked away. Well, isn't there something more important that you need to be doing right now, young man? And he said, you know, I, I knew what God had called me to do. I, I knew what I was planning to go and do after I got out of studying in seminary. But, but that question rocked me to the core. He was like, I knew that those things were being thought. I, I knew that I would have to answer those types of questions. But, but for some reason, this lady walking downtown Louisville, Kentucky, asked me this question. And it just caused me to question everything I thought that I knew. And he said, after a lot of prayer and, and seeking wise counsel from those who were close to him, he came to the conclusion that there may be things that seem more urgent at times. But he said, there's nothing more important than doing what God has called you to do at any time. And I want us to hear that. And, and, and as we go through this passage this morning, I want us to understand that there are urgent things all around us. But there's nothing more important than what God has called us to do in every time. And certainly there are urgent things that come up that we need to respond to and we need to respond immediately. But we need to respond through the lens of what is most important. And where what is most important and urgency meet, that is where God has called us to be as his people. That is where he has called us to be on mission as his people. Now, as I said, after he graduated, he, he went off to be a chaplain on a naval ship, and he saw many of those who were on the ship come to faith, and God used him in powerful ways. And, and here's what he said about that time. It was where what was urgent in his time and what was most important in his time met. That's exactly what he said. And then later in his life, he looked back and reflected, and he said, you know, my ministry has not been less significant in Alabama since leaving the ship. It was just an urgent moment that I had to respond to in what was most important. But he said, as followers of Christ, the ministry of the gospel is always in a state of perpetual war against our truest enemy, which we are called to bear witness to through the power of Jesus Christ, as we've been talking about in the book of Acts. See, there's urgency all around us 
In our community right now, if you look at the world around us, it can seem like everything is kind of falling apart. It can seem like those that you know are really struggling and hurting, and maybe even they are falling apart. There are things that we need to get involved in as the people of God that are absolutely urgent. But in the midst of all of those things, we cannot lose sight of what is most important. And, and you have to respond to the urgence with what is most important. And we need to understand as the people of God that what is most important and what we were created to do is to be in community with God, to worship him with all of we are and all that we do, and, and to through the lens of who we are in him by his coming and living for us. His dying and paying the penalty for our sin that separated us from community with him, which is the greatest war, which is the greatest battle, which causes every single one of us to go off of what we were created to have and to know and to be lost in the things of the world, seeking what can only be found in God, but never able to find it in anything other than through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because when he lived, he lived for us. And when he died, he paid our penalty. And when he rose, he rose from the grave to defeat sin and death so that we might have new life in him that we might be brought back into community with him, that, that we might have the power of the Holy Spirit live and dwell in us, that we might be transformed in his likeness, that we might live for what is most important, which is his glory. And in giving him glory, we receive joy. And then we see the urgency around us and we meet the urgency with importance. It's where it meets. It's what every single one of us were called to do. And it's what we see throughout the book of Acts. It's the, the greatest importance is the understanding that there is no greater honor and privilege than to be saved by your God. And I know that as many Christians are sitting in this room, that statement that I made does not sound like it's the most profound statement that I'll make today, but it is. And, and I don't know if you've reflected on the reality that the God who created you to know him, but you rebelled against and walked away, came and lived and died and rose to save you, and that in him you can have life by his grace, not by your works, but because of his works on your behalf, and that there's no greater honor and privilege because what you were created to do is to know him than to be saved by him, by his work, through his grace, by placing your faith in the reality that you don't have to do or you cannot do anything that is required for you to be everything you were created to be, but in him he did it all. And if that does not, at some point today, as you reflect on that, or even right now, cause the hair on your arms to stand up, then I pray that you would come in contact with the Holy Spirit today, and that he would work in and on your heart, that you might understand the reality and depth of the, the wonder that our God saves us. And not only that, but the God who created us gives us an identity and a purpose, and he sends us out on mission to do his will that many others may come to know him. And there's no greater honor and privilege than to be saved by our God and sent out as agents of redemption and healing and freedom to face the urgencies of the world with what will actually save and heal, with what is most important in all of the world. Our God saves us and sends us. And listen to me, one of the greatest mistakes of the American church is we believe that we're a bucket that the gospel gets poured into on Sundays and not a funnel that the gospel gets spread through all throughout the week. 
See, you're here on Sunday to be poured into that God might send you out to where you live and where you work and where you play and spread the gospel truth of salvation and mission and purpose and identity everywhere that you go and you see the urgencies of the world and meet them with what is most important, the gospel truth. And we get a glimpse of how God uses individual lives in this story to see that. See, throughout the book of Acts, we've seen just the multitudes and the masses and the church and the entity of the people of God and, and the multiple of, of people coming to know him. But, but in this text, we get to hone in on a face. And we get this image of how God uses the individual in the body. Every single one of us are called to the mission of God. And we get to see how God uses each one of us as a part of the body, specially gifted by him, as we've talked about over the last several weeks, to be on mission where he has placed us. And that he is always working in you. And that he is always working in those around you. And our biggest question as followers of Christ, with the urgency we face, with the most important thing, living and dwelling and being powerful in us, to spread the gospel truth is who is around us. Because I know God's working in me and I know he's working around me. And what has he called me to do with those that he's put in my path? And we get to see it here. And so I want us to read this together. It's the beauty of this text. And so I didn't want that to be overshadowed, but I want that to be the lens in which we read this. Look in chapter 8, verse 26 of the book of Acts. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem, to Gaza. This is modern Sudan. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, which is extremely important, and we'll see why, of the court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. And he came to Jerusalem to worship. So here's a guy who is from Africa, who has come all the way to Jerusalem to discover the one true God. We're going to see that he's come across a, a text, a scroll of the book of Isaiah. He's reading it and he's seeking to understand something that he has found because of where he has been and who he is and the experiences that he has gone through in his life. He wants to discover the truth of this one that he is reading about. And he's gone to Jerusalem to discover because this is the book of the people of the temple in Jerusalem. So he's gone there to say, can you explain to me who this God is? And he was returning, seating in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over there and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, so it didn't go too well in Jerusalem. How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to sit with him. And now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before his shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this, his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, what most scholars believe is he's actually reading through the, the scroll of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. This is the part that Philip overhears him reading. And I think it's because he keeps going back to who is this lamb? Who is this Savior? And we're going to see why that's so important in just a moment. And the eunuch said to Philip, here's what I want to know. Who is he talking about? Does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? 
Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with, it, with Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. See, all of Scripture, we'll see this, is about Jesus. Philip doesn't sit down with him and say, well, see, you know, Isaiah, he was this, and he did that, and he, all of those things might be important, and obviously they had a long conversation because we're going to see at the end that the Ethiopian eunuch gives his life to Christ, and immediately he's asking to be baptized. So they've gone through a lot of theological things and a lot of truth. But what does Philip talk about, and what is most important? He points him to Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See here, there's water. They're in a desert place, so I don't know if God just kind of was like, Hey, he's ready. Here's a pond, and put it there, and then it was gone. I don't know. He did something even cooler than that right here. As soon as he came out of the water, Philip was gone. He took him away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on, and he rejoiced. But Philip found himself as Azotos, and he passed through, preaching the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This story is so important because it reflects how God uses us and some he's going to call away and and some he is already calling to those that are around them. And as we've looked through the book of Acts to this point, we have seen, as I said, the multitudes of people, but I love how here we get to see that God has an individual plan for each person in his church. Because the multitude of people all have a face and a name. And we get to see how God brings people to himself and adds them unto his church and gifts them as his people to be the funnel of the gospel that goes out. And so this is for every single one of us. See, Philip wasn't just a pastor. He was just one who was called out from the church and God sent to Samaria. And he's spreading the gospel truth where he lives and works and plays and And the Ethiopian eunuch is just seeking after him, and God makes a plan for him. God has a plan for each and every person that he draws into himself and saves. And and listen to me, for many of you, you need to know, if you're not a believer and you're listening online or you're here right now, God also has a plan for you. And he has done everything that is required to bring you to hear me. And he's put me here to share this truth that you might know him. See, he has a plan for each individual, and we get to see that and what God is calling us to do and what he will do through us and how God uses it for a movement for many others to come to faith. And I love how we get to see this, that every single one of us is is combined together as the church. Yes, but God uses each of us individually as well to build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And listen to me, I want to challenge you, and and I I told the first service this, I'm going to try to be as simple as I possibly can with this text this morning. I told them I would probably be short, but that wasn't true. So I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to be as simple as I possibly can with this text. And and, and here's what I want you to start thinking about in in light of everything that we have said to this point. I, I don't care who you are, what you've done, what you've accomplished, or what you aspire to be or accomplish, there is nothing more amazing and life-giving than knowing God and sharing God to those around you. Absolutely nothing. There is nothing more thrilling. There is no place where urgency and importance meet at a deeper state, at the foundational level, than us knowing and growing in Christ together and being sent out to share our faith with others. It is so, it's exhilarating, it is exciting. I don't care what else you do on this earth. I've done a whole lot of things that were a rush, but I've never experienced more excitement than sharing my faith. And it doesn't even matter if they receive it. Like God has been rejected a whole lot through me in my life. 
And, but it's just as exciting. I, I remember one time, and, I, and I, I'll tell this story because Matt Mears, our, uh, one of our other elders, was a part of it. And uh, we were in seminary, and we got suckered into, I think Matt actually got suckered into this, uh, being in the gym during a lockout for University of Florida students. And so I was, I was with him. Uh, I was the friend. I was the support. And we were, we were reading scripture. We were kind of sitting in our own room. They were playing games. It was like 3 a.m. in the morning. I mean, we're kind of just done, but we're trying to stay awake for these students. And we're reading scripture, and one of the students comes in and, and starts asking us questions about what we're doing and, and what does the Bible say and had never really experienced anything. And so we had, over the course of several hours, two or three hours, and the, and the crowd kind of grew. Other students started coming in. And she was kind of the ringleader, and so other people kind of started coming in. And, and before long, the room was kind of full, and we were just talking about Scripture. And we just literally, like, walked him through the whole thing, pointed, the whole, pointed him to Jesus throughout the whole text. And, and at the end of it, guess what? There was not this huge, like, moment where everybody just broke down in tears and started praying to receive Christ and asking us to baptize them in the baptistry. But, but hopefully God it planted a seed and somebody else harvested that. And we tried to keep up with them for a while and they kept asking questions and emailing back and forth and different things like that. But, but you know what Matt and I did, even though we did not sleep all night, we walked out that morning and got into our cars and we had never been more excited together in our entire lives to that, a relationship to that point. We were so amped that I could not go to sleep for like the next 24 hours because God had just done something through us that he had done in us and, and it was so powerful and exciting because it's what we were created to experience and to do. Now, some people will come to faith and that will be just as exciting and sometimes that's even harder because then you gotta disciple them. But just sharing your faith is what God's called you to do. He's the one that saves them. But there, there's something about seeing people that come to faith. It's, it, it, and, and you know why it's so exciting? I'll let you in on a little bit of secret. Because some of you, maybe you've never done this before. If you have shared your faith with somebody, you've experienced this. But when you see someone come to faith, it's like God is transporting you a couple thousand years back into history. And you get to see the stone rolled away. You get to see the power of the resurrection occur in someone's heart. As God, in a way that only he can, revives the soul and the heart and the life of someone who has been destroyed and broken by sin and restores them to the life that they were created to have in him. And then he begins to transform them in a way that only he can to live the life that he has called them to live and to find freedom in his will and his way. And they begin to share their faith and see people come to know Christ. There's nothing more exciting. It's the power of God. And I don't know if I'm doing a good job at this at all today, but this is basically my point is I'm trying to encourage you that God has called you to something great. There's nothing greater than being saved in him, being sent out as a funnel for his mission and to see people come to faith. It's what you were created for. It's why you live here on earth. You know why you don't pray to receive Christ and just go to be with God? Because he has a mission for you and he uses us to see other people come to faith. This is the uncomfortable part. This is where some of you won't come back. Because if you come to church here, we're going to challenge you to live out your faith as though God is not only Savior, but Lord. And that he's created us to walk in him, in his way. And that is where life comes. And that's what's attractive to those who see. And not all will be saved. 
But your joy will come in doing what God has called you to do. And I want to invite you because I know God will use you because he's working in you and he's working around you. And if you start intentionally living with those he's put around you, I want to invite you to experience watching his power to bring the dead to life by you sharing your faith. There's nothing more amazing that you can do. And the coolest part of it is God does it. Notice I said God's been rejected through me a whole lot of times. He's the one who saves, but he uses us on his mission. And God has a plan for each individual person that makes up his people. He has a plan for you. He's put you in the places you are with the people who are around you. And he's not only working in you, but he is working in those around you. And we see that in this story. And I think that's so important for us to understand, because I think a lot of times we feel like God's called us to something. And like, man, we got to stand, we got to just kind of leap out and make it all happen. I got to convince them. I got to talk them into it. I got to set this whole thing up. And and I'm not against uh, building friendships and kind of connecting at the heart level with those people before you share their faith with them or your faith with them. But, uh, you you know, you don't need to meet them at Starbucks for 18 months in a row. You don't need to cut their grass or send them five Christmas cards before you can share your faith with them. And and we, we feel like we have to do all this work. No, God does the work. He invites you to experience his power through you by you understanding that God's not only at work in you, he's in work in the ones around you and he's placed you where you are on the mission he has placed you on so that you will see him powerfully move where he has you right now, where you live and where you work and where you play. See, he's already at work. We see it right here in the story. And and I want you to know that if you're not a believer, today's the day. Today's the day. I believe that God is going to use this time to, to, to speak powerfully in your heart and you can give your life to Christ right now and by his grace you can be saved if you're sitting in here or if you're online. But if you are a follower of Christ, then, then he cares about you and working in you, but he also cares about those around you and working through you. And everything that God wants to do, he wants to do through all of his people. So listen to me, don't just go through the motions of Christianity and show up and say, I'm going to heaven when I die because I prayed a prayer. Allow God to work through you so that you can actually experience life now. But if you are truly his, there's no greater comfort than resting in who you are in him and the mission that he sent you on. And I want us to see this. We see Philip's life. He's, he's been under this persecution in Jerusalem, so he goes to Samaria. He feels that God is leading him there. He preaches, and he's talking and sharing his faith to those that he comes into contact with, and people start coming to faith, and, 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 and suddenly we start seeing that God's promises are faithful. They always have been, and you need to know that everything that you read in Scripture that is a promise from God, he is completing or he has completed But he made a promise in Acts 1.8 that when he ascends, he would send the power of the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in us, that the power of Christ would continue to work through the people, his church, and that it would be in Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And now, last week we saw that he sent Philip to Samaria. He's completing his promise. And through the one that he sends Philip to here in our text, we have the gospel going to Africa and the first church being planted in Africa, the ends of the earth. God is faithful to his promises. And God is going to allow us to see this story unfold. And he is calling us to do exactly what we see Philip doing. We're going to see that played out. And now I know when we think about 
all the Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, like it gets a little overwhelming. I know that even when we talk about at Redemption Hill Church, we talk about like we desire gospel saturation amongst all people in Winston-Salem, that every man, woman, and child would have an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel truth on multiple occasions. You cannot leave your house in the city of Winston-Salem without coming into an interaction with the gospel. All right, that's our goal. That's our desire, to see lostness decrease. We don't talk about numbers in here. We talk about percentages of lostness in our city. That's why we collaborate with other churches. That's why we pray for other churches, because we care about the kingdom of God, not just our kingdom. We desire, now I know that sounds overwhelming. How do we do that? And it is overwhelming when we do it the traditional church American way where the entity is kind of in charge of everything and we just come and get poured into and we're not the funnel that pours out when we leave. It's true. I did a little math this week and it's very overwhelming. Now me doing math is pretty dangerous, but the best that I can tell is that in the city of Winston-Salem proper, we have one church for every about 1,200 people. That's just churches. It's not gospel-centered churches. It's just churches. That's pretty overwhelming. If it's just up to the church and the entity of the church, the pastors, the paid people. But if we say that every believer is called by God to be a funnel for the gospel truth where they work and in their neighborhood and where they do their hobbies, then suddenly we start seeing that it's, uh, let me just say, I like our odds. Now, George Barna just came out and, and with a study that said only about 17% of Christians in America actually have a biblical worldview. So let's just assume that only 17% of the believers in the city of Winston-Salem are going to have a biblical worldview, which means they actually believe that God has called them to something, and that's where their joy is wrapped up, and they're miserable chasing the things of the world and, and saying that Jesus has saved them. But let's just say that 17% of the people in, in Winston-Salem were on mission where they live, work, and play, and God was working in them, and God was working on people around them, and they were intentionally noticing the people that God was putting into their path. It would be one believer for every 25 unbelievers. Now listen, that might be a lifetime of work for many of us, but let me just point out, that's a lifetime of work. That's one generation. Now, I know there's a lot of variables, and you can come up to me if you disagree with evangelism afterwards, and you can tell me all the different scenarios that that could not play out the way. I get it. I get it. There's a lot of variables. But what I'm saying is God has called us to something that even if it was greater than that, he could achieve through us. But when I see one in 25, I think to myself, you know what? We can do that. Through the power of God, we can do that. And, and I want us to be a church that, that sees our city and doesn't get overwhelmed because the power of the gospel living and dwelling in and through us is greater than anything in this world. And what God has called us to, he will fulfill in us. And if it doesn't happen in our generation, maybe it'll happen in the next one. Maybe we're the pioneers making the trail and our kids are going to come in and be the settlers. That's totally fine. But God's called us, and there's an urgency that we have and to, to live in the urgency with what is most important, and this is what is most important, that we are on mission. We see that with Philip in Samaria, and people start coming to faith, and the church is growing. And you might think to yourself, like, wow, like, Philip has found his place. The church is growing. People are, are the church is, is planting. Small groups are happening. He, he's got to be there to be the leader. And man, he's, he's got a good gig. Like he has found his successful place. But as soon as he finds that, an angel of the Lord comes. An angel of the Lord comes. And the angel of the Lord shows up. And we know that anytime the angel of the Lord shows up, something pretty cool is about to happen. And a lot of times in our lives, we wish that God would speak to us this way. And I'm going to tell you in just a few moments that God speaks to us in a much greater way than through an angel. 
But an angel of the Lord shows up, and the angel says, I want you to go to Gaza. It's a desert place, and, and it was. It was absolutely deserted. Um, it's, it's, as I said, in modern Sudan, it was originally a Philistine city. It was fortified, and there was a major road that went through it to Egypt. And so it was a major road that was traveled on very often. In 96 BC, though, the city was absolutely demolished. It was in ruins. They rebuilt the city, but not on the same place. They rebuilt it a little distance away, but the, the road continued to go through the desert place, the deserted place. So the angel's telling Philip to go to a place that you don't really want to go. It's kind of just a way to get somewhere else. There's no coffee shop Philip can meet the Ethiopian eunuch in. But that's where he tells him to go. Now, we don't know if that's all the angel said. Maybe he explained there's going to be a chariot. It's going to be super nice. There's going to be a dude in it. I want you to run up to it. Like, he might have explained all that. We don't know. What we do know is the angel of the Lord told him to go, and Philip got up and went. Now, as we said, God is calling each of us as his people to be a part of his family and his mission. That's what God desires for us to do. That's where we find our freedom and joy and giving him glory by doing that. And some of us do think, well, you know what? If an angel of the Lord came to me, I would see that as pretty urgent and important and I would do it. If an angel came to me. Now, that's why some of us, we look for things in our cereal in the clouds and we read the tea leaves and everything else like that. And we want God to speak to us like an angel is coming to us in every situation before we ever do anything. And here's the thing that I want us to see. Now, God does still at times do miraculous things to speak to us. Now, I, for my calling into ministry, some of you know this story, but I, I literally felt like God was talking to me. Felt like he told me to go into ministry. Now, I, I, I couldn't tell you how that happened, what was going on. Like, I was just sitting there, and suddenly it just, like, dawned on me. God is talking to me. Like, I just felt this overwhelming presence, and, and I knew what God called me to do. He still works that way. I, I uh, was in Clarkston, Georgia a couple of years ago, and right outside the Beltline there in Atlanta, there's just a one square uh, block of all refugees, thousands of people from all around the world. And I was walking around and talking to some of them, and there was a Muslim man there who had recently become a Christian. He told me the story of how he became a Christian, and God worked in him in a miraculous way. And basically, he said that he had no idea who Jesus was. He had never heard or read scripture. He had, he had no intentions of ever doing so. He had never heard of the cross or anything of that nature. And he had a dream one night that was, just kept recurring over and over and over again every single night. And the dream was that this man who was just, he described as just bright light, was standing in water and welcoming him in. And every night in the dream, he would step into the water and the man would baptize him in the water and bring him up and then he would have a light around him. And he had no idea what it meant. But guess what? God was working around him as he was working in him, and he sent to him a believer who explained that this is Jesus, and this is the gospel truth, and this is what baptism is, and that man is now a believer, and he is highly persecuted by all those around him for his faith, but he is sharing it to everyone in the community. See, God does still work in those ways, but what we see in the, in, in the life of Christ is he's working with many signs and miracles to, to show us who he is, and then he works in many signs and miracles in the early church to authenticate that he is still working through the power of the Holy Spirit. But what we need to know today is that God primarily speaks through his word. 
He is giving us the living and active word of God. That's why we preach it here. That's why we walk through books of the Bible here, because we want to hear from the one who matters most. That's why we encourage you to read your Bibles. That's why we give out Bibles for free. That's why I would encourage you to give anybody a Bible and take one of those for free that you want to give and encourage them to read it, because we know, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. There is power in this book, and when you open it up, it's unlike any other book because when you read its words, it is the actual word and voice of God speaking to you. It's living, and it's active, and it's life-changing, and it tells us, it's the only one that tells us, the book that tells us, the way unto salvation, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he has done all the work for us. Any other religious book or any other book out there is going to tell you all kinds of things you have to do to hopefully get where you want to be, but this one says it's all been done, and it's done by the one that created you, and he's telling you and speaking to you even today about all that he is calling you to do exactly where you are through his word. So we need to be a people of God's word. It informs us. It allows us to know him. It informs how we should pray and how we should have community with him and how we should talk with him and how we should grow in him. And we should encourage other people to read it. Give somebody a Bible that's in your life. Challenge them to read it and then talk to them about it. And do exactly what Philip does. Point them to Jesus in everything that they read. Don't try to get caught up in the weeds before they know who Jesus is. If they're coming to you and they're going, I don't understand what are all the priests about in the Old Testament, then you tell them about the high priest who came to be our mediator between God and man by dying on the cross for our sin and rose from the grave so that you can have new life in him. And he is your high priest and nobody on this earth do you have to go to to get to God because God came to you and he saves us and he invites us in because the veil of the temple was torn when he died on the cross for your sin. Tell them about Jesus. When they get to the sacrifices in the Old Testament, tell them about the lamb that came to be the sacrifice once and for all for the sins of man and that you were separated from God by your sin and brokenness. But Jesus came and sacrificed himself to take your sin on him so that you can have salvation in him and in him alone. When they talk about the law, tell them that the law is there to show you that you cannot live up to the standard of the world or your creator or even the law that you create for yourself. But Jesus came and fulfilled the law on your behalf that you might now live in the law by grace and as freedom because God has created you to live in him and he gives you the identity before he ever asks you to do anything. When he talks about, I'll just keep going. When he talks about prophecy, Tell them that everything, 25% of the Bible when it was written was prophetic in nature and that God is faithful to do and fulfill everything that he has said he would do. And over 300 prophecies are fulfilled just in the three and a half years Jesus lived. When they talk about miracles, point to the reality that Jesus is revealing himself through the miracles and they are all done by him. When they talk about judgment, talk about the reality that we deserve judgment for our sin. And all of us understand that we all want justice. But when they talk about the wrath of God, say that the justice of God fell on Jesus for us so that he took our wrath and that in him we can be saved. And the wrath of God is no longer on us, but he took it on himself so that we can be set free and be called sons and daughters. Like, I mean, should I keep going? I mean, everything in scripture points to Jesus. Give somebody a Bible, tell them to read it, talk to them about it, and then point them to Jesus. The word of God can share its truth better than you can. And it is living and active. Put it to the test. God speaks. 
And he speaks to us in a more powerful way through it than he would speak to us through an angel if the angel came and said, the God says, and you should go. Because God's already said, and he's already told you to go. And if he's calling you, we'll see next week with, with the life of Paul, if he's calling you in a special way to a special thing, you will know it. He'll make it abundantly clear. You do not have to guess. I've never met anybody that was sure of what God was calling to do that was some crazy place that they needed to go. And God will call some of you to that. And we'll support you and we'll send you out and we'll, we'll, we'll do everything for you to get you to where God is calling you to be. But you need to know some of you in this room will be called to go to places that you don't want to go. But most of you are just going to be called to actually be intentional where you work. And God will give you the power to work through you in those places. But, but God has already told us to do that. And, and he's already told us what we need to do in our everyday lives. And he will make it abundantly clear if he's calling you to anything extra. So I, I want us to understand the reality of what the gospel is doing in us and through us. And here's the thing I want all of us to hear. God is speaking. That's not the question. The question is, are we listening? Amen. And are we willing? And, and I want us to think about this because I think a lot of times the reason that we don't do what God is calling us to do and we already know that he's telling us to do is not because an angel doesn't come, but because it's uncomfortable when he tells us to do it. And so we look for a sign so that we have an excuse. But he's already told us what to do. And we can so often allow the urgent feeling for doing what we want in the moment to keep us from the true urgency of what is most important. Don't do that. It's so easy to do. It's so easy to look at God's word and just kind of say, I know that God is calling me to these things, but it's so uncomfortable and the mission is hard. And it is because it's stretching. Because you are broken in your sin and you have rebelled against God and he is transforming you into his likeness. That's painful. But it's what you were created to be, and that's where joy is. And, and so you need to know that, that, that God isn't calling Philip out of something that he doesn't want to be in into a better situation. He's got a cakewalk in Samaria. He just got there. He's getting up and preaching. It's like Billy Graham crusades before Billy Graham existed. He's got a church that he needs to help lead. And now God's calling him out of that, not to something comfortable, but something extremely uncomfortable. But... I want you to know that when God calls us to something, we actually will find when we lean in that it's more comfortable to be uncomfortable in Christ than to try to be comfortable in anything that we can do in the world. And he calls him out of the comfortable place to actually pull him into and put him into a place of joy. God's calling all of us to work in these ways. God's empowered all of us to do it. And Philip understands and what we need to grasp is that in Christ is where we are most satisfied. It is where we are most comfortable. It is what is most urgent and important, not our position or place or comfort in anything else that we can find in the world. So see, God calls Philip out of this and Philip goes. Now here's very quickly what we need to see. Philip goes and he's led by the spirit and he sees the Ethiopian eunuch riding in a chariot. All right, and the Spirit tells him to go run up alongside of it. So we kind of get this humorous picture. I don't know if you guys read Scripture literally and see what's happening here, but the chariot's going. Like, the eunuch is on his way home, and Philip is told by the Spirit to catch up to and see what's going on with the chariot. And so here's the, here's the imagery here. Philip is running beside the chariot, and the Ethiopian eunuch is reading Scripture. 
And I believe because of what we know of Ethiopian eunuchs, see, the eunuch would have worked for, it says, Queen Candace. And that's not her name. That's kind of like calling somebody Pharaoh. Um, the Ethiopians had a king, but he was venerated. He didn't do anything. He was worshipped. He was believed to be the son of the sun, S-U-N. And so he didn't even do kingly duties. The, the mo- mother of the king was called Candace, and she kind of ran everything. And this guy works in her court, and everybody that would work in her court would be castrated. And that's gross, but it's extremely important. Now, if you don't know what that is, you can ask Matt Mears after the service, because I'm just going to move on. (laughs) But he was castrated, and that's extremely important for what we see here. Because what we need to know is he just went to Jerusalem to discover the God that he's reading about. But when he got there, Deuteronomy 23.1 tells us he would not be welcome into the temple because he was defiled. He has gone to discover God, and the people who are supposed to know God would not even let him into the place to tell him about God, but they rejected him, and now he's going back feeling rejected. But he's rereading the word, I believe, to say, man, there's this lamb that's supposed to come and set me free and give me life, and and I think he's just struggling with this word. I just went to the only place I know that has the answers, and they rejected me, and now I'm rereading it, trying to figure it out myself, and maybe he's even kind of praying to a God that he doesn't even know. God, just somehow help me understand this. And, and then here comes Philip. And he's like, here's him reading Isaiah. And he's like, hey, are you reading Isaiah? And he kind of looks over and Philip's huffing and puffing. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, do you know what it means? He says, no, how can I if no one tells me? And we see God use Philip But let me tell you, I I know it's awkward sometimes for us to share our faith, but you will never find yourself in a more awkward situation than running next to a chariot. (laughs) And God will use you in powerful ways. And so the eunuch here is reading Isaiah. And here's what I think is happening. The eunuch would not have just been reading this portion. This is what Philip heard. But here's why the eunuch is so caught up on who is this lamb. And he keeps going back to Isaiah 53. Because just a couple of chapters down, if you were to continue reading, then you would read Isaiah 56, 3 through 5. And certainly the eunuch would have read this. Listen to this. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. He has a place. And let not the eunuch say, oh man, this is talking directly to me. See, I'm rejected in the world, but there is a God who will receive me. It says, behold, I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and the name, listen to this, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be, listen, cut off. So he's reading this and he's going, where, who is the lamb? Who is the Savior? So he's reading this, and then he's going back to Isaiah 53, this lamb that would be slain, and all he wants to know is, who is this God that will save me? Because I've, I've gone here and far and all over the world to try to find salvation and what will save, and I've tried religion, and I've tried the world, and I've tried every philosophy and every ideology, and I've traveled all around to try to figure out where is salvation, and there's this one who is said to come and bring salvation by his work and not anybody's work in the world or any man's religion, and all I want to know is who is this God? 
And God sends Philip. Listen to me. There are a whole lot of people in your life that you are in contact with every single day that are searching for salvation. And they are asking the question, whether they know it or not, how will I know unless someone guides me? And there are people in your life that you just need to walk up to and run beside, and you just need to ask them, hey, how are you doing? What are you reading? What are you listening to? How are you dealing with everything that's going on in the world right now? How is that affecting you? And then you need to lead right into the gospel truth that Jesus is the one that can save. And, and we have this weird idea that everybody knows what they're doing in life and everybody's purpose is sure. And if they're riding in a chariot and they're reading a book and they look like they know where they're going and they're going there with purpose, that they've got it all figured out. But let me tell you, unless they have Jesus, they have nothing figured out. And they're asking the question, how do I know? And God has put you in their life to tell them. We see him come to faith and he gets so excited that he just wants to get baptized right away. So they, they go into the water, they're baptized, and then when they come out, Philip is gone, poof, God takes him somewhere else. But God made him do the whole walk to get to him. <laughs> then he took him away. And God's going to call you to do some hard things and you've got to lean in and do what God's calling you to do. But then the eunuch we see throughout church history and also just an ancient historian, Eusebius, and, uh, and other church uh, fathers that he actually goes on to plant the first church in Africa. See, I love this story because it hones in on the face of two individuals that God represents or gives us a representation of the whole and how he's calling all of us to what he is calling us to do with urgency in what is most important. And there are many people in our lives right now who are waiting to hear from us what God is doing in us. And you need to know he's already working in them. And if they reject, then maybe it's a seed that someone else will harvest, but we will see many people come to know him.